Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, I will be by there shortly. I have to tell you, I am slightly excited. Uh, I, you know, I prepared this message for Thanksgiving. I did. But you know, we serve this God who is all-knowing. Don't we? And God knew as I was putting together this Thanksgiving message that I would never have the opportunity to preach it at Thanksgiving. And He knew that this was the Sunday that I would begin to preach this message. I don't intend to get to everything today, but I, I, am, I am thankful that we serve the all-knowing God, the God who knew that, that we would need a Savior, the God who knew that He would send His Son Jesus Christ into this world to, to die for us, the God who knows the big picture and who sees the, the, the infinitely small details of life. He knows them. He cares about them. He knows the beginning from the end. And I am thankful that He knew that I wouldn't preach this message on Thanksgiving. He knew that today would be the day that I would start to preach this message. Having said that, and I am excited for this message, I, I have hope for the future. And I certainly have hope for eternity, as I pray that each of us do. But having said that, I am now going to issue several trigger warnings. Okay? And so, with that, um, and you have to realize that most of these trigger warnings will probably come into play next week's message. But I'm going to start with those just so we're kind of, we have time to marinate on that and have us everybody on the same page. First of all, I have not been listening to anyone specifically. Okay? That's not so much a warning as just a statement of fact. It, like I, I know there are, are there are others out there who probably have, have said similar things to what I'm going to share. I, I don't I don't I, I can't say that I've been listening to anybody specifically on what I'm about to say. So therefore, these are uniquely my thoughts. Okay, um, and I take full responsibility for my thoughts. And I, maybe I am crazy, but I don't think so. Um, and your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> Time will tell. Uh, you know, s several years ago, um, I heard General William Boykin speak. And uh, he was... He was an original member of Delta Force. Some of you were with me when we, we heard him speak. And he was an original member of Delta Force. According to his calculations, he was the original member of the Delta Force because there were very strict tests, uh, uh, physical tests that they had to finish to be able to be a member of Delta Force. And he was the first one to cross the finish line. So therefore, he would have been the first official member of the Delta Force. Anyway, uh, I, I don't agree with General Boykin's theology. If you've ever heard his theology, you would probably say, Amen! 
I, I don't agree with a lot of the things that he believes. But, but when he spoke, there was one thing that he said that absolutely, in, in that moment it stood out to me, but it didn't, I, I didn't fully understand. He said, as a member of Delta Force, they did a lot of clandestine operations, and, and one of their operations was they flew into Nicaragua. They were fighting, at that time America was having a feud with the, uh, with the Sandinistas, with, uh, Manuel Noriega. And he said when that plane landed on the tarmac and, and that plane opened, that military, uh, transport plane landed and, and the back door of the plane opened, he said, when I walked off that plane, he said, I said, I can't explain it. He said, but when I walked off that plane, he said, I could feel the darkness. I could feel the spiritual darkness in that moment. And I thought, huh, okay, you know. Have you ever been in this? And I'm not one to run on feelings. But have you, have you recently noticed, been made keenly aware of spiritual darkness? You can almost feel the, and I think he was referring to the oppressive nature of the darkness. And when I look back at 2020, I think if you're a Christian that is half paying attention, you can, you can agree with that sentiment that you can, you can see it, you can feel it, it's palpable, the spiritual darkness, the wickedness that is at work in this world. And so, you know, I, I, I think now I, I understand what he meant when he said he stepped off that plane. He, he said you could, you could feel it. It was just, it was just so much wickedness. I believe today, and again, this is my humble opinion, but I, I believe today that Satan is devouring people all around us. You know, the Bible says he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I believe completely that in 2020, and yes, 2021, Satan is devouring people all around us. And again, this is my opinion, but I think in 2021, we may wish for 2020. Everybody says, whoo, I'm glad we got 2020 behind us. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it gets better. I don't, I don't remember seeing that in scripture where it gets better going forward. I believe Satan is devouring people all around this country. I believe Satan is devouring people all around this world. And I believe we are seeing the effects of that play out before our very eyes. And I believe Satan is so effective today because the church is not. The church stopped doing what God called the church to do. Remember in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, in believers, and we are, we are the back pressure against Satan in this world. 
Except when the church stops doing what, the, what God has called the church to do, we're not much back pressure, are we? <laughs> you remember last year about this time? I know that was like, you know, a hundred years ago in COVID years. But, you know, remember, COVID was just something going on in China at the time. There really well, That was the reporting, you know, the, oh, there's this something going on over there, but it hasn't made it out of there yet. And, and that was the, the news media. That was the, 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 the reporting that was, that was going on. And um, the church was over here in America giving all these cute sermons on what? Somebody said it. 2020 vision. You know, isn't that cute? we got to have 2020 vision. You know, I, I believe the church in 2020 had 2020 vision. I think their vision was perfect. I just think they were looking at the wrong thing. You see... The church has 2020 vision. I, I believe Christianity today, you know, used to talk about how organized religion and how organized religion was, was off. I don't think we have the privilege of throwing, throwing, uh, organized religion under the bus anymore. I believe you just have to say Christianity. I think you have to say the church. I believe the church at large has 2020 vision, but they're staring at the wrong thing. They're focused on the wrong things. The church has 2020 vision on social justice. The church has 2020... By the way, do you know who coined the phrase social justice? I'm not sure if I can actually answer that Authentically, but, but it's, it's, it, you can, you can point back to two specific groups who really ran with the phrase social justice. One's the United Nations. They've written the book on social justice. And the other one, what'd you say? Yeah, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, two organizations that I don't put much stock in. Anyway. And the church today has, has 2020 vision laser focused on social justice, laser vision on political activism. We just came through a long political cycle, election cycle, and, and the church was very much engaged in that. And it's not that every church is engaged in all these, but churches have their 2020 vision, but it's over here, it's over here, it's over there, it's over there, instead of it being there. Entertainment. The church is very much an entertainment industry. The church is very much focused on meeting people's felt needs. The church is very much focused on traditions. The church is very much focused on sacramentalism. The church is very much focused on physical needs. But the church doesn't spend a lot of time telling people of the truth of the Word of God. 
telling people of their need of a Savior, grounding people in the truth of the Word of God. I believe the church, in many ways, has become a service industry filled with charlatans. Service industries sell people what they want to buy, not what they need. And I believe there are far too many leaders, viewed leadership in the church today, where charlatan is too kind of a word to describe what they're doing. You know, that's one of the reasons why last year, well, 2019, we started the guide service. The guide service is very simple. The guide service is simply a ministry. You know, I had this, this idea of a ministry that just prepares men to be servant leaders. Because there is an absence across Christianity of, of true biblical servant leadership fulfilling God's will and God's plan. And, uh, you know, our church needs more servant leaders. You can never have too many servant leaders. And so we started that ministry because we need godly leadership. And I will tell you, my mind still swirls in that uh, in that realm in that idea how how can we how can we equip more men from our church how can we equip more men from other churches i i have i have ideas that are swirling in my head and this is not the time or place to discuss those but but i i i have thoughts and ideas and i'll i'll move on um second trigger warning, and that first one really wasn't a trigger warning, just as a statement of, of some ideas. And again, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm issuing these trigger warnings, but these will probably be more in play next week when we get down to um, where the rubber meets the road and, 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 and look at some of, some of the specifics. So, trigger warning. This message, and next week's message, is not about saving America. Okay, let me just say that. This message, I, I am not preaching a message about saving America. America is a wonderful vehicle. It is. It is a wonderful tool that God has given us. It's wonderful freedom that we have. But, and in light of that, this is not about saving America, but if the church does what God has called the church to do in His Word. And again, I come back to organized church is not doing what God has called the church to do. Much of Christianity is not doing what God has called the church to do. But if the church is the church, people's lives will be changed. Individual lives will be changed. And collectively changed lives... So you change one individual's life at a time. But you change this person's life and that person's life and that person's life and that person's life and those people start coming together collectively. Collectively changed lives will collectively change a culture. 
But in this message, if you hear Save America, and if you hear Christian nationalism, you're not listening. And, 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 and if, if you hear that because I say something, please don't hear that, because that's not what I mean. Um, I'm interested in saving souls. Period. I'm interested in us saving souls. Period. I'm interested in you saving souls one at a time. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. says, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. That should be what the church is all about. The church should be about seeing souls saved and seeing people come to the knowledge of the truth. Period. That, that is not that, that is not rocket science, is it? I believe that the church is busy doing a lot of things to the detriment of the one thing above all else that God has called the church to do. See souls saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And listen, I love America. But if America fails, you will still find me wherever I am trying to reach one soul at a time trying to see souls saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. As long as the Lord tarries, we need to be about seeing souls saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It should be on the forefront of our thoughts in our ministry as a church collectively and as our, in our ministry as individuals, wherever God places us. So, this is not about saving America. It's about saving souls. Second trigger warning, or third, depending on how you count. The third one, this is not about politics. Okay, I just want to put that out there. This is not about politics. This is not about political parties. So, when you hear me name politicians, and I'm going to, because I'm going to share with you some things that have been said recently that will... Blow your hair off, Hunter. <laughs> Apparently Hunter's been looking at my sermon notes. <laughs> when you hear me name politicians specifically, realize I do not care in which party they are. That's it, not my point. It's not my point. Um... I don't care who they're affiliated with. This is, this is not about Republican or Democrat. In fact, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I realize we just came through an election cycle, and an election cycle in this country, it's, it's all... Democrat versus Republican, and people go crazy, and they blame blame the other political party, 
and, and well, if this party was in power, this would be getting done, and if that party was in power, that would be getting done, and we'd be so much better off if, if that party was in power. You, you understand what I'm saying when I say that? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, that is what this is about. When we see all that's going on in our world today, we are believing a lie if we want to align this with a certain party affiliation. If we find our identity in a certain party affiliation, realize realize that that's what Satan wants us to do. Satan wants us to be laser-focused on, I cannot believe those Democrats. I cannot believe those Republicans. Realize that we are fighting a spiritual battle. This is, this is spiritual darkness. This is spiritual wickedness in high places at war against the kingdom of God. That is what we are looking at today. When you see all of this, and I'll make this statement again. No, I'm not going to say it now. I'll save it. i got to think if I want to say it now. I'll say it, because I'll say it again. I believe that COVID-19 is 100% real. I believe it. It's real. It is. I think you'd be crazy to say that it's, it's not real. But I believe firmly that Satan, remember Ephesians 6, 11, 6, 10, 11, and 12. Remember, this is a spiritual battle. And Satan will use anything and everything in his power, in his sphere of influence. And I believe 100% that Satan is using COVID-19 as cover fire. Remember, in a battle... You don't have to shoot the enemy. You just have to keep the enemy from advancing. You just have to keep their head down. And I believe that Satan is absolutely 100% using something that's real, but he's using it as cover fire to keep the church's head down. To keep us, to keep us quiet, to keep us separated, to keep us divided. And governors are, are, are all too willing accomplices in demanding that they can't meet. And people are fighting for their right, going all the way to the Supreme Court. Let me tell you something. If the Supreme Court of the United States came out tomorrow and said, you can't meet, guess where I'd be next Sunday? I would be here. Never again will I allow Satan to make me duck and cover. 
Because, listen, th- this, this, this message is not, it's not about politics. It's not about politicians. This is not an attack on anyone. This is calling us up to the battle that's before us. And, and you, you may be afraid of a virus. I understand that. But you need to realize that Satan is using this as cover fire so that we keep our heads down while he advances an agenda. And if you think I'm kidding, I've got documents next week that I'm going to show you that, that I'm telling you. And, and I'm, I'm slightly letting the cat out of the bag, but you know, we just came through this election cycle. Trump. Biden. Oh, what a battle. And, and, and it was, is, it is interesting as this whole thing plays out. And, and who is, you know, they're all pointing their fingers at Biden or at, at Trump and, and how he is, you know, one side is pointing their fingers at Trump and, and as Christians we look and say, man, look at how they're attacking him. I've got a 28-page document in my briefcase, in my bag back there. Let me tell you, listen up. Trump is not their enemy. I'm not kidding. 28 pages, the church is the enemy. I'm not kidding. I can't read the whole document. I can share the document with you. You can read it. But Christianity, the church, that's who they hate. That's who they want to destroy. Trump is just, to them, is just collateral damage. He's just an inconvenience in the way. The church is who they're coming after. And when I share some of the things in that document, and I get, I didn't want to say anything this morning, but I can't, just can't help myself. But listen, and again, this is not about politics. This is about spiritual darkness in high places, spiritual wickedness in high places versus the kingdom of God. Satan wants to to destroy and undermine and keep the church from doing anything. And it's like the church is either blind or all too willing to go along. We're we're all too willing and happy just to keep our heads down. But I'll get to that next week. So this is not about politics or political parties, even though I will mention them. It's just for the sake of pointing out what they are advancing. And my last trigger warning before we actually get to the sermon this morning is if, or maybe better put, when you feel that you are being personally attacked by something I say, please hear my heart. This is, this is not a personal attack on anyone, any one group, any one person. This is a rallying cry to the spiritual battle that we are in. Again, this, this was a Thanksgiving message. And when you look back in history, the pilgrims, as, as we refer to them today, the pilgrims are remembered. Do you know why they're remembered? They're remembered because of the stand that they took. They took a stand for what they believed. 
they were absolutely 100% committed to what they believed. They were, serve, they, they were living under a tyrant. And the tyrant came along and said, he barred, he, he, he put the, the king's seal on the very place where they were meeting. And do you know what they did? They met there anyways. This was a man who could have executed them for gathering, chased them down, chased them not only across England, but across the channel to, to capture them, to punish them. But they were so committed to having the freedom to, to, to worship as they believed Scripture called them to worship that it didn't matter the tyranny they were under. They met anyways. When, when they came to another, I think it was the Netherlands, the first thing they did was set up a printing press so they could send the Scriptures back to their country to reach the people in the very country they had been chased out of. They risked their lives over and over and over again. We get this idea of, you know, gold buckles on black shoes and all of that nonsense. These people had spiritual convictions that they were willing to follow through on no matter what the cost. And this message and next week's message, this collective message, is really a rallying cry. I wonder, 400 years from now, should Christ tarry 400 years from now, how will the church be viewed in 400 years? The church of today be viewed in 400 years? Will people 400 years from now look back at Grace Bible Church Oshkosh and say, I am so thankful for those men and women who stood in the face of tyranny. Did you ever hear about the other people that were, the other Christians that were alive during the time of the pilgrims? You don't, do you? You know why? Because they weren't standing like those pilgrims were standing. How, how should Christ tarry 400 years? How will we be viewed? Not that it's about how we're viewed, but the point is, 400 years from now, will people be talking about us and our stands? Or will we just be forgotten in history because we did nothing? Because we went along? Because far too many Christians are willing to just go along. Just go along with the status quo. Oh, we can't meet? Oh, okay. Oh, we, we can't talk about abortion? Oh, okay. We can't talk about boys are boys and girls are girls? Oh, okay. Well, we stand and say, you know what? Enough's enough. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And by the way, there is a man and a woman. Abortion is murder. We need to be the church. We need to rally together. And so this is a call 
to the spiritual battle. This is a call to unity. We need to be together. We need to be together. One of my favorite songs, uh, a Christian songs, is not that well known, but years ago we had a Southern Gospel group sing at our church, and uh, we were listening to it on the way to church this morning. The name of the song is Firmly Committed. The, the group that sang it was Fourfold, uh, but the song was Firmly Committed. And, and I love this song because the words are so powerful. I'm firmly committed to the cause of Christ, determined to serve Him for the rest of my life. There's much more to it, but I don't remember all the words. But I mean, think about that. Firmly committed to the cause of Christ. Are we? Are we determined to serve Him for the rest of our lives? What if serving Him becomes very painful? Are we willing? (laughs) When the pilgrims got on that boat for like the third time, do you, you know, we talk about our founding fathers. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors. Those pilgrims, the king had taken everything. When they tried to leave the first time, he took everything that they had. He cleaned them out. You know what they did? They tried again. And again, until they finally escaped to freedom. They gave their fortunes. How many of them died before they ever ever escaped the country of England? How many of them died in the Netherlands looking to looking for that? place where they could worship freely. How many of them them died on the ship over, I think? Did one die on the ship over? can't remember now. How many of them died that first winter? Why did they die? They could have stayed in England and just kept their head down and done nothing. Just quietly worshipped. Found ways to work around it. Instead, they, they stood up and they said, enough is enough, we're done. We're going to obey God and not you. And we talk about them 400 years later. Because they, they risked their fortunes and losses. They went to a land and laid down their life. Because they believed in something, in someone that much. How many of us would risk our lives for the gospel?
you know, it was just a couple years ago, there was the talk of that young man who went to that tribe. He felt led to share the gospel with that tribe, and he got, uh, did he make it to shore? I think he made it to the beach, and they killed him on the beach. How many of us would be willing to sacrifice our life because we were so committed to Christ? How many of us would have been on the boat with the pilgrims? How many of us... Let let me back up a minute. How many of those pilgrims do you think were afraid They, they, they weren't wax figures in a museum. They were people. They were leaving an established culture and country to go out. Into the unknown. For those of you with little girls, you'll understand the humor in that statement. Anyway, Frozen, right? Into the unknown? Anyway. Um, they were willing to go into the unknown. They, they didn't know where they were. They didn't, they didn't know what was in store for them. They risked their lives. And I'm just going to say it. And again, please, please hear my heart in this. I love... All of us. But this needs to be said. How many of us as Christians are afraid to leave our homes right now? Because we might contract a virus. And we might. You might. You might get sick. Yes. It might kill us. We might. But, but, you know, we, we are willing to leave our house, our homes to, to grocery shop. We're willing to leave our homes to get essentials. Is not Christ worth our lives? If it costs us our life, is He not worthy? And I know that, that saying that might step on some toes, might hurt some feelings, and I don't mean to do that, but, but, I look at those pilgrims and they said, I may die, but, but I'm going. And listen, there will always be something to be afraid of. There will always be something to be afraid of. In the late 50s and early 60s, what was it that people were afraid of? The bomb. Mutually assured destruction. And, and out of fear, what were people doing? What? Building shelters. And people, people were, were gripped by fear. And, and our culture played into that. And, and my father-in-law was talking to him about this because I brought it up and he was saying when he was in, when in grade school, they would have drills. And what did they have to do? Duck and cover. 
All these kids were being taught to put their get on, on their knees and hide under their desks. Because that's going to save you when the big one goes. But, but that was the thing that was the thing to fear in 1958, 59, 60, 61. And then we had the 60s. And what was it that was killing us all? Vietnam! You know, there was, there's, there's always something that's going to, to grip us. A few years ago, was it 20 years ago? I, I lose track of time. COVID, I lose track of time. There was Ebola. Oh, do you remember when Ebola was it? Wasn't, didn't we get a few cases like in California? Back in the 80s, what was it? Thank you, AIDS! People were terrified. I might get AIDS. Because we didn't, the people didn't know how it was spread. I might get AIDS. I, I might die from AIDS. There will always be something. Listen. God hath not given us a spirit of fear. So if God, let's do process of elimination here. If God didn't give us a spirit of fear, who is it that's propagating all this fear. Satan is hard at work keeping... A, because why? Because if there's an AIDS pandemic, people, Christians, are going to keep their heads down. If there's a bomb, you know, threat of nuclear attack, we need to keep our head down. I mean, 2020 was, was COVID. Now there's the new one. All Satan wants to do is for us to keep our head down. And do you know why Christians are so willing to keep their head down? Because I wouldn't stick my neck out there either if I was just a part of an entertainment industry or a part of a social justice industry. or a part. But the church needs to be the church. The church needs to be the pillar and ground of the truth. The church needs to proclaim the truth. The church needs to reach the lost with the saving message and the knowledge of the truth. And listen, if that's what God has called us to do, I don't care what's going on in this world, it is worth my life. I can't make, it's worth your life too, but I can't make that determination for you to overcome that fear. But let me say this before I actually get to my sermon. Twenty twenty one. In twenty twenty one, there is no room for non combatants in this spiritual war. When we cannot be a church, I can't talk to all the other churches, but I can talk to us. And we cannot, we cannot be a church of consumers. We will not survive. And by that, I'm being very specific here. We cannot be a church filled with people who are just taking in and being fed, but not contributing to the ministry. We need everyone. 
And that, I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm not trying to hurt feelings. But but if you're a part of Grace Bible Church and and you're being fed, you're being fed for a reason. And in 2021, just like in 2020, but this is I'm calling us up. We cannot survive. We cannot survive on the work of some. We need everyone to find a way to be involved, to be engaged, to be committed to the cause of Christ. Everyone. Everyone. Because there is the time is short. Turn with me to, to Romans chapter 13. The time is short and the attack is severe. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. And when he's talking about our salvation, he's talking about the rapture of the church. The rapture is near. I don't know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. If, if, if I were here, he'd be saying now, now. You know, we, we don't know when Christ is going to return. Nobody does. There's no signs to look for to point us to the fact that Christ could return at any moment. But he could. 2,000 years ago, Paul thought Christ could return at any moment. I know one thing for sure. We're 2,000 years closer now than Paul was 2,000 years ago. We're 400 years closer now than the pilgrims were 400 years ago. By the way, 2020 is the 400th anniversary of their settling in Plymouth. Anyway, that was for my Thanksgiving message, so now you're getting the New Year's message. Verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time. Here's the problem. I don't think the church realizes the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Think for a minute. Paul was writing this nearly 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago he was telling them, wake up! So my message this morning is, is not that much different. Apparently 2,000 years ago, there were non-combatants in the church. We're not going to be, you know, I've got too many things to do, Pastor. Oh, we've got too many other things going on in our lives right now. Oh, well, the Romans might kill us. We, we need to be afraid. There's, there's always going to be something. Paul says, you need to realize what time it is. There is nothing in your life, including your life, that is more important. Now, knowing the time now is the high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Sadly, in the church 2,000 years ago, there were those who were involved with the works of darkness. And 2,000 years later, guess what? The church is still filled with people who are involved in the works of darkness. And God says, listen, that time, that ship has sailed. We need to, it is all hands on deck for the ministry. 
Let us walk honestly. Let us walk consistently with who we are as saints, as believers, as, as, as those who are in Christ. Let us walk consistent with that. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Put ye, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. I believe that in 2021, the church needs to draw a line in the sand and say, here are no further. And I'm not talking about political uprising. I'm not talking about physical altercation. I'm talking about the fact that the church is going to be the church. We are going to stand on the gospel. We are going to preach the truth of the Word of God rightly divided. And we are going to gather to do it. And we are going to be equipped to go out and minister. And, and we are going to find ways to minister. We are going to minister no matter what. Because at some point, Christ is going to return in the clouds. And when He returns in the clouds, we cannot be hiding and cowering because the government said to. We need to be gathering and preaching and teaching and ministering and reaching the lost because there are far too many people. Listen, people are dying every day. Some from COVID, some from other things. If I die from COVID... That will be sad for my family. But I will have the victory because I will be in the presence of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in that moment. And my life is worth that sacrifice because there are far too many people in this world who are dying and are going to a Christless eternity because nobody took the time to share with them because we were told to be afraid, because we were told not to, not to, because we were told we couldn't gather, because we were told all these things. And we listened. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is given a vision. In Isaiah 6, 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, 
for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, I dwell, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. <laughs> Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, has this vision. And in this vision, he sees the holiness of God Almighty. He sees the glory of God. And he sees that glory fill the temple. He sees that glory. In verse 4 it says, and the house was filled with smoke. It's, it's, the, it's the Shekinah glory of God. It's just this overpowering glory. And Isaiah comes face to face with that, that overwhelming Shekinah glory of God. He comes face to face with the holiness of a holy God. Holy. The word holy, we get the, the words sacred, we get the word saint, we get the word sanctuary. All those words are words that come from the Hagios, from that, that, that Hebrew word, the, the, whole, the holiness of God. And we realize here, Isaiah realizes here, we realize with Isaiah that, that, that he, is, he is truly set apart. He is truly sanctified. He is, he is pure at his very core. This is, this is who he is. And, and it's from his holiness. It is from that, that holiness that, that, his, that we see His righteousness and His justice and His love and His mercy and His grace. But at, at, at the pinnacle of it all is the holiness of Almighty God. Verse 5, it says, Then said I, Woe is me! I don't even think, I don't even think we can begin to say it, as Isaiah probably said, woe is me. He is, he is in, in shock of the holiness that he has just come face to face with. And he says, woe is me, for I am undone. And he realizes in that moment of coming face to face with the holiness and the, and the glory of Almighty God in, in that vision, he realizes how short he falls. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And we say that and we say it with such ease. I don't think we realize how far, how far short we fall of the glory of God, of the holiness of God. And Isaiah there in verse 5, he recognizes the holiness and glory of God. And, and for him, it is literally a life-altering moment. What does he say there? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He's looking around and he realizes how, how unclean, how unpure, how unholy, how unglorious they all are, himself included.
says, For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Maybe if we as Christians paused to consider the holiness of God, how it might transform our lives. Verse 3 in that same passage is talking about these seraphims. It says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You know what? Where we live, there are a lot of great horned owls. A lot of great horned owls. Um, and great horned owls are apex predators. They are the top. When it comes to night hunting, they are vicious and ruthless and more than able. They have claws that, that uh, are deadly. I know that because we had one in our chicken coop. And uh, I tell the story of how we had a, it was all fenced in, and this great horned owl dropped through the open top down into the run. So we had to go between boards, got down to the chicken run. And like a saloon with the doors that swing, he walked through the hole that's about that size into the chicken coop in the night. And when I came out in the morning, he had only killed two. Uh, but he just looked like, it, to me it was like a scene out of a western. His claws were his guns hanging down there. He had these leg, he has these leg sheaths for flying. They have, they have hairs on the end of their wings so that they can fly perfectly silently. You'll never hear them coming. And I'll bet you he just walked into that chicken coop like he owned the place. And wreaked havoc. And he and I had a long talk at the end of that before I let him out. What's that? Yeah. Well, let's just say I told him before I opened the door, I said, if you ever come back, it will not end well. Um, anyway. Those great horned owls, I got sidetracked. Those great horned owls, at night, you can lay in bed and you can hear them calling to one another. And you'll hear two, three, four, you'll hear these owls in different trees and they're communicating and they're talking. And as I, as I read this account of this vision of these seraphims, they've come face to face they're there in the presence of the holiness and glory of God. And it's like they just can't help themselves saying, Holy, holy, holy. They're, just, they're, they're calling. They're calling to one another to express the, the holiness of Almighty God. Verse 3 goes on to say, The whole earth is full of His glory. We live in a culture today where we like to fill this earth with our glory. But Isaiah said, no, the whole earth is filled with His glory. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. In Isaiah's vision, in the prophet Isaiah's vision, he, he sees the holiness and glory of God and he is, he is awestruck. The seraphims are calling, holy, holy, holy. Calling back and forth, describing what they've seen, proclaiming the holiness of God. Romans 1.16, uh, Romans 1.20 says, The invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Guess what can be seen? They saw it. But would you not consider the holiness of God something that can be seen in creation today? His eternal power, His Godhead, His holiness, His righteousness, His justice. All those unseen things of God can be clearly seen in creation according to Romans chapter 1. And verse 20. And so the question is then, what should our response to a holy God be? Turn to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise ye Him all His hosts. Praise ye Him sun and moon. Praise Him all ye stars of light. Praise Him ye heaven of heavens. Heavens of heavens. And ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling His word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For His name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He also exalteth the horn of His people, the praise of all His saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto Him. Praise ye the Lord. <laughs> that leave anybody out? Don't you think that we should praise the Lord? And that doesn't mean just sing a song. Our lives should be lived in praise to Him. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. According to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, his, love surround, or his, his glory surrounds us. His, glo his glory, his, his holiness abounds. Beyond all that, Ephesians 1 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places 
in Christ. He's writing to, to the believers at Ephesus and he says, we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We have. Those, those are our blessings. Should we not as believers praise the Lord? Should we not as believers in praising the Lord serve Him? Should we not as believers be firmly committed to the cause of Christ? Determined to serve Him for the rest of our lives? And if that means it costs us our life. How many people have died serving themselves? They've lived their entire lives serving themselves. That's not a worthy cause. How many, how many people have lived their lives seeking to prolong their life? seems to be the popular thing today to preserve our life as long as we could. It's not a worthy cause. I can only think of one thing that's a worthy cause. That's Him. That's serving Him no matter what it costs. Listen, I, I, I'll start by saying I'm thankful. But I could have made a whole lot more money doing something else. And, and, that, and again, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm not, please don't hear that in any, any way that you may. I'm just saying, you know, um, But, but living to enrich myself just didn't seem, it seemed pointless. And it's, it's you know, if, if I'm making money so that I can pour it into ministry or, or you know, support missionaries, okay, I, absolutely. For me, it was, we were involved in ministry. And, and, and the more I served, it was, it was the, more, the more I needed. I felt called to serve more. To the point where Rebecca and I just came to a point where it's like, I can't do it this way anymore. He alone is worthy. I am not worthy. My life is not worthy. And with all the love in the world, I say, you're not worthy. You're not worth it either. Your life is not worth it to serve yourself. It's not a worthwhile cause. Only He is worth it. 
One last verse, First Thessalonians chapter 5. And again, I say what I just said, I, I'm not saying everybody should just quit their job and go into full-time ministry. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying whatever you're doing, it needs to be, he needs to be the focus, he needs to be the, the center uh, of our, our lives, of our ministry. Everything needs to be about him and for him. We need to be willing to spend and be spent for him. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. Not because of what we find ourselves in, but because of who we find ourselves in. We can give thanks. Next week we're going to come back and that's where the, I'm going to really get into some of these, these things, but, you know, we're, we're going to get into the other side of, of the discussion because we can look at the holiness of God and we can see His holiness and we can say, yes, He is worthy and yes, I'm willing to sacrifice no matter the cost. But at the same time, in the back of your head, you're going to hear that little voice saying, I hear you, Pastor, but, you know, there's a lot of evil in this world. Um, and so next week, I want to pick up with, with that, and we're actually uh, going to spend some time in Revelation. I want to point some things out there that are going to happen after the church, the body of Christ, is raptured away. And we're going to kind of, we're going to, Connect some some dots, and it's gonna. I find it's going to be fascinating. Um, giddy like a <laughs> giddy like a schoolgirl, right? Uh, I'm excited for for that because it's just it's it's fascinating to me. So we're gonna. But remember, and I'll, I'll say this next week. Listen, we're gonna look at some things in Revelation, but that's not because we're going to endure those things that are talked about in Revelation. Scripture is clear that we are raptured away before that takes place. But that doesn't mean we're not going to endure some terrible things before we are raptured away and those things take place. So, having said that, I'll stop there because I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. I, I pray for us as a church. Lord, I, I am excited for the future. I certainly don't want to... I don't want to preach negatively. I don't want to sound negatively, Lord. I, I want to, to praise you. And Lord, I want us as a church to be firmly committed to you. Lord, I want us as, as, as saints, as believers, to realize the calling you have put on our lives, young and old, and Lord, I pray for each of us. I realize, Lord, that, that, that fear is, is a real thing. And, and, and we, are, we are told to be afraid. We are gripped by fear. But Lord, I also pray 
that in the face of fear, that we will rise up as believers that we will rise up and be faithful in what you have called us to do no matter the cost no matter the sacrifice and may we realize with our sacrifice which is really your sacrifice Lord because we are yours completely. May we realize that whatever, however you use us, as we are willing to spend and be spent, may you be honored and glorified. May you have the glory. It's in your Son's name I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.